Welcome to the Online Frogcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with some of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster. Committed several different types of fraud online until I ended up on the United States Most Wanted list. Spent some time in prison. And since that point, I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against people like I used to be. And in the next several episodes, we're going to be talking about the most common fraud tactics that impact consumers. And when they impact consumers, they also impact online merchants as well. So it'll kind of be like the foundation of fraud, so to speak. That's right. So today we're going to talk about credit card fraud. According to the Identity Theft Resource Council, credit card fraud is the number one reported form of identity theft. Identity theft is it, its kind of like this catch-all term for fraud that impacts consumers. It, it can range from credit card theft to taking someone's identity, using it to open credit cards in someone's name, file taxes in their name, any number of types of things like that. We're going to be talking about all those different things in more depth in, in future episodes. Today, though, credit card theft. And, and credit card theft is probably the easiest thing for cyber criminals to commit for a lot of reasons. But the biggest one is probably that you don't need a victim's social security number. And there's also more numbers available than there's ever been in the past on the dark web and criminal websites in general, which are just two of the reasons why it's so prevalent. And it's really, it's, it's becoming even more common. And so today we're going to be talking about what happens when your credit card's stolen. I've had my card compromised twice this year um, and several times before <laughs> that, probably because I travel so much. Yeah, um, three times this year for me. Yeah, exactly. So if it's happened to you, you're obviously not alone. There are some things that you still can do to prevent it from happening, make it less easy for it to be compromised. But we're also going to talk about what happens when it happens to you. Because as we've said in previous episodes, and we'll probably say it a million times more, when it comes to fraud and identity theft and credit card fraud, all of that, it's not a question of, of if, it's a question of when you're going to be a victim. So, you know, we're really going to talk about what to do when it happens to you. And then, you know, most importantly, probably what, how you can reduce your chance of your card number being stolen in the future. So, Brett, let's start with the different ways credit cards are being exposed. I know there are so many, but uh -huh. the number one question I used to be asked whenever I would talk to a victim of card fraud was, how did it happen? Who got it? How did it work? And I said, you know, in the last episode, that kind of was a pet peeve of mine just because it feels like a waste of energy because you may never know, but it is helpful to kind of know what are what are some of the ways that a credit card number might be accessed or, um, you know, compromised. Sure, sure. And, and you know, it, it's honestly, it's, it's, it's a common or it's, it's, it's a rational thing to immediately want to know how did they get my number? You know, right. that, that way we can go and get the guy and put him in jail. <laughs> right. We all have a sense of justice and want right. like vindication, right? <laughs> and, and the sad truth of it is, is that most of the time, the people who are using stolen credit card data, they're not going to be caught. And, and even if you knew, if you knew exactly the point of compromise of the card, 
it, it, there's not much that can be done a lot of the time. I mean, a lot of people go to jail and prison over this kind of stuff, but a lot of people don't because there's right. so many actors and players that are that are doing this type of crime that it's 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 no longer a problem that you can arrest your way out of. It, it's you have to you have to look at the overall picture and things have to be done to try to to stop fraud and especially carding and credit card theft without putting everyone in jail because you're not going to be able to do that how does it happen well that's the question right so the number one thing really is phishing attacks even today it's still phishing so you get this email that says to update your account or you know we your your password has been accessed or it's been compromised and please update all the information and even today, those emails result in most of the credit card thefts. So it's usually at a point like this when I say phishing that that Carice would come up and say, "Well, Brett, what about what about the target breach?" <laughs> <laughs> well, not just the target breach, but breaches in general well, do contribute to credit cards being compromised as well. And that is very true. So, so lots of fast food restaurants recently, like everything. a lot of things. Yeah. So you've got, matter of fact, you're in Seattle. When I was committing crime, we had a guy that uh, was getting credit card numbers from a, a little shop called Pizza Smitza. I don't know if they're still in business or not. <laughs> <laughs> Pizza Smitza? Pizza Smitza. Oh, okay. Is it still there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, what what was going on is uh, back then the machine was still capturing the data and it hadn't been upgraded to uh, to dump the credit card numbers. So the guy was just taking the credit card numbers out and selling them on dark web marketplaces at that point. But how does your credit card number get compromised? By any number of things. It can be a phishing attack. It can be a data breach like with Target or Home Depot or anything else like that. It can be card skimmers at gas stations, at small businesses, at... It can be a server at a restaurant that has a skimmer in, in their pocket that when they take your card to charge it, that they just, on the way to charge it at the actual machine, they slide it through the handheld skimmer they've got and they capture the track mm. data, data at that point. It can be a physical it can be a physical theft of the card. You have people now, a lot of a lot of cyber criminals that you've got physical crime mixing with, with online crime. So you get a lot of guys that simply go by and steal the mail out of the mailbox. And they get lucky and they get a card or they set up a card and have it sent mm. to, the, to the card owner's actual ad address and steal it out of the mail at that point. I mean, there's, there's several different ways that your card can be compromised. What I like to say, and I think it pretty much holds true, is that really all of your data is out there. All right. And that, I don't care if it's personal information, if it's bank details, what basically all your information is out there. It's best to think that way and then consider, OK, since that information is there, what can we do to make sure that a crook can't use it? Right. Well, and we're going to be talking more about phishing emails in an upcoming episode or phishing phone calls, too. Right. But what I would say about that is, you know, not to assume that everyone understands what that is. I mean, it really is an email that looks legitimate from a company that you probably have a relationship with that'll ask you to update your password or, you know, things that make sense that they would do. And when you click on that link, instead of it going to their website, it'll go to a website that looks just like theirs. And so when you enter in your username and password, they're capturing that. Or maybe it asks you to update your credit card number and you enter it in thinking it's a legitimate website that you have, you know, for you frequent often or you have a membership with. And instead, that's how they're they're gaining that or phone calls as well. I had that happen to me recently where they said that they were from my bank and knew that my card had been compromised. And it turns out they knew my card had been compromised because they were probably the ones that did it. And they said, you know, we know that you've been victims of fraud and we 
want to, you know, talk to you about these suspicious transactions, but we need your bank account or your, your bank account information first. And I was like, well, which account? And they didn't, <laughs> they said all of them. Oh, like, hmm. Here we uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, but I've got to hand it to them. The caller ID was the, my bank account or my bank's uh, customer service number. And it came up as my bank's name on the sure. caller ID, which I mean, as you have said before, it's easy to spoof. But they, you know, knew some information about me because I said, well, you're the one that called me. I need you to verify something about me. And they knew my address. Well, my former address. Luckily, I had just moved. Right. So I knew which address was actually on file with the bank. But it all sounded pretty legitimate. But when I said I was going to call them back to verify that it was them, they got very angry. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to clarify what, what phishing was, you know, just a snapshot of that to kind of, you know. Give some right. more and, and, and to be fair, I mean, phishing is extremely effective, and it, it's not a point. In in a lot of presentations, I have this line where I say, "Phishing is is ninety you know ninety two percent successful, and there is no patch for human stupidity." That that's that's this funny little line that I give out. That but that's not really the truth behind the matter. It doesn't really matter if you're if you're a genius with cybersecurity or not you're just as susceptible or likely to fall for a phishing attempt. It's it's one of these things that right. manipulates, you know, human behavior and, and behavior. Right. They they know what they need to do to get a response from you. And and you you know, you countered that by saying I'll call you back. And that's usually the answer. I'll call mm-hmm. you back. <laughs> so Right. And, and that, then they said, "Well, we don't we right. don't accept phone calls in this department." And I was like, "Well, I know <laughs> really? that's not true because I've talked to you. I've, you know, called you guys before." And that was my cue, but I mean, it really, I almost fell for it. And, you know, to your point, yeah, I think a lot of people feel stupid when they've fallen for something like this, but these guys are very sophisticated and they know what works. And I mean, you were one of the first ones. (laughs) I hate to like call you out on that, but you, you can talk about this topic because this is how you gained a lot of the information that you used to commit fraud. Oh, absolutely. You talk about phishing via phone. I would pick up the phone. If I, if I needed someone's social security number, I wouldn't worry about trying to pull it from some website or or a lookup service or anything like that. I'd pick up the phone, spoof the phone (laughs) number of the social security administration call the victim directly and say, hey, this is this is James Lasky over at the Social Security Administration. We seem to have a problem with your uh, with your report. We just need you to verify your Social Security number. Well, they, oh, look, wow. at, they look at the caller ID. They see it says Social Security Administration on it. They're like, okay. They're yeah. trusting. And you've got all their personal information except for the social. And you have to give them some line. Well, you know, we've, we've got some immigrant up in Boise, Idaho that looks like he's working at a chicken farm using your social security Oh my number. gosh. So when you say something like that, it's having a really hard time still considering you my friend right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was, that was one of the excuses that I gave was that wow. type of thing right there. Always put them on, on guard, on edge. And then you immediately come through with, with the solution for it all. Well, we can fix it all right now. I just need to verify your social security number. Wow. Yeah. That, and that happens a lot. And I know too, that actually, you know, a lot of immigrant communities are impacted by this as well. Absolutely. People speaking their native language will call them and they'll, they're very trusting. And, you know, I've heard about it happening quite a bit back to kind of how it happens. And like I said, we're going to be talking about fishing for an entire episode in a couple of weeks because it's that important. You know, a couple other things I was just going to add about, you know, other ways that credit cards are compromised are, I've seen breaches of small to medium businesses, restaurants, like small restaurant chains, quite a few. Actually, I mean, this happened several years ago, so this isn't anything that I think, you know, is outing anything or anyone. But 
I organized a conference in another city several years ago, and there was an Irish bar in the lobby of the hotel. And there were several, I mean, there were several hundred of the top fraud managers for, you know, the biggest companies in especially the U.S., but also internationally too. name a big company. They were probably there. And we frequented that Irish bar the entire week. I mean, why not, right? (laughs) What else are you going to do at night after a conference? And a few months later, my business, Amex, was compromised. And we had a few other people that attended the conference who said their Amex or, you know, their credit cards were compromised. And I kind of was putting two and two together and figured out the point of compromise was probably, you know, I kind of asked, where did you use it and stuff like that, even though you know, working for a nonprofit, you know, trade association, that wasn't our job. It's just, I went into that mode because that's, you know, how I've always, it's ingrained in me, figured out that it was the Irish bar. And so we, you know, all had to issue chargebacks and stuff. So there are about 25 of the top fraud prevention managers for some of the biggest companies in the world that got their card compromised. Funny little story, like six, seven months later, I was back in that city hosting a regional meetup at one of the top five, I think, biggest retailers in the country and at their offices. And I had invited a local, the head of the white collar crime division for that police department in that city, because I had met his boss, the police commissioner when I was there before. And so he came and was talking and he was using an example of a local restaurant chain that he was pretty sure had been compromised for the last year, but that uh, the owner of the restaurant refused to do anything about it. And I, afterwards I said, I just have to ask you, (laughs) I think I know the name of that chain. And I told him and he looked at me and he goes, how did you know that you're from Seattle? Like it was on the East coast. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, how small of a world is that? Right. And so thankfully with the information I was able to give him, even though it was several months later, he was able to go to the owner and say, no, you really were compromised. Like there's no doubt about it, but it had been malware installed on their POS system, probably so, from so, a phishing email. I mean, so, so we're kind of combining things. It was one of two things. It was either someone skimming, so you had one of the one of the uh, yep. waiters or waitresses skimming, or you had malware installed, and that's that's what it's going to be at businesses like that. that yeah, are, and I've you know had to testify in cases like that before for small restaurants. So you know it's important. Now I'm not saying don't trust them. I'm not saying only use cash, but. I know most people want to know how did it happen. And so these are just some examples. Another one is like servers at a restaurant. Maybe they don't have a card skimmer, but they take a picture of the front and back of your credit card. Exactly. Um, I love going to Europe and to Canada because they just bring the (laughs) terminal to you at the table and it's never out of your sight. (laughs) And, you know, Um, I'm starting to see that in the United States now. Are you really? I am. I've been to a couple of places in Chicago that are doing that. Uh, New York, a few places in New York are starting to do that as well. Well, good, I, as they should be, you know, just because it's just one more point of compromise. So it's just important to know. I think the biggest things, you know, that you do have control over as a consumer is, you know, being skeptical of phishing emails and calls. If you get an email that is from a company that, you know, looks legitimate, go out to their website and change your information there. You don't have to use the link in their email or call them and, and you know, let them know. Big companies, they get made aware of phishing emails using their logo all the time, and there's only so much they can do. But, you know, at least verifying that they didn't send it can be helpful. And just be cautious when people are asking you for your information. When they contact you and ask you for your information to validate it, I think that is key. And we're going to go into a lot more 
on prevention, but just kind of some tidbits in there. <laughs> but also in the Identity Theft Resource Council's report, they said that the number of credit card numbers exposed in 2017 totaled 14.2 million. And that was up 88% over 2016. 88% more credit card numbers were exposed in 2017 than 2016. Why do you think the numbers being exposed is increasing so much? That's well, see, a big, heavy question. See, you, you, I read that 14.2 million as well. My initial response to that was those numbers are too low. My knee-jerk reaction was really just that many numbers? And, and huh. my, here's why. Because right now credit cards are sold. And, and so you, you have people that sell card data for you can buy in mass if you're buying loads of it you can get it for under a dollar a card number for the information. All right, now sometimes those card numbers are just generated card numbers. And of those, maybe 1% of that will be, you know, active and valid card numbers. But uh, really for, for good card data, if you're looking to buy that, you can buy it for $6 up to about $14. Sometimes you see it for $20 for card information. And that uh, that this is just for what's called CNP, card not present. So if you're placing an online order, a catalog order, a mail order, anything else like that, that's CNP stuff. So for that information, you get the uh, you get the person's name, you get their address, their phone number, their email address, the card number, the expiration date, and the security code that's on the back. That's that's what you're getting for that mm. six to you know fourteen to twenty dollars. If you're looking for track data, and when I say track data, that's if you're if you're if you're planning on taking a credit card. Uh, counterfeit credit card and encoding the information on that magnetic stripe on the back of the card. That's track data. Uh, those well, are and that can dumps. be done on the back of a gift card, too, Absolutely. or even a hotel key, anything with a card swipe, which is why counterfeit fraud used to be 50% of yeah. credit card fraud until... EMV came around. Right. So, <laughs> and now so it's EMV all coming to EMV. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. EMV, EMV is extremely effective. So all the guys are are stopping with the counterfeit credit cards, going in stores with counterfeit stuff, and they're just going online with the orders. Right, but it's um, not stopping fraud like no. so many banks tried to say. It's just shifting it. And in reality, it's shifting the liability. Because exactly. if it's card present, the bank pays the con the cardholder back for what was stolen. If it's card not present online, over the phone, in an app, that merchant has to pay that consumer back. So really, EMV pretty much just shifted the liability and shifted the volume of fraud. I mean, you can see it so clearly in so many graphs and data that's out now. You see counterfeit fraud going down and CMP fraud going up very quickly. Like Absolutely. it has doubled a couple times. So, you know, and, and that's right. But if you're talking about the increase in numbers, why why do numbers continue to get bigger? What, the reason I bring up the prices is, is because I really believe that the pricing is a lot of that. If these card numbers were being sold for $150 a piece, you'd have far fewer actors or, or people that were trying to commit credit card theft because they would have to put the investment out Less there. Less supply and demand, and right. So since they're only like $10, $12 a piece most of the time, you've got somebody, well, I've got $10. I'll try my hand at trying to steal a laptop or a, a cell phone or something like that. So you, you have all these people that, that are willing. It's all about willingness when you're breaking the law. Are you willing to take the chance of getting caught in order to try to steal a laptop or a video game or what have you? And most of the time, these guys are saying, oh, yeah, I'll try it because they know or they suspect that they won't be arrested. And most of the time, they're not until they commit enough crime that they end up with 20 years, <laughs> which is pretty common these days, a 20-year sentence. But Right, uh, but... 
that's when they're the kingpins, right? Like you were. Like that's the big guys. I mean, that's, that's really that's the big guys. Yeah, that's the big guys. And and what happens is is so I, I keep referring back, and and listeners will hear me refer back to Alpha Bay again and again and again. Alpha Bay was shut down July 5th of last year. It was the largest criminal network on the planet at that point. It was on the dark web. It had 240,000 members. 240,000 members. All right? Now, certainly most of these members were just drug buyers of that. Most of those drug buyers were just looking for marijuana. But fraudsters, there were probably 40 to 60,000 fraudsters on there. People who were looking to, to steal money from businesses, from people, whoever they could get money from. All right, so on that one website, you've got somebody that, and most of most of the business that's done is credit card theft, using credit cards mm -hmm. to place orders. So you've got, say, 40,000 people that are looking to commit credit card fraud on one site. Now, when you buy credit card information, you're buying, a criminal will buy a minimum of, say, 10 numbers at a time. So those 10 numbers cost him. He can get them for, like I said, 10 to $15. So he's spending, say, for 10 numbers, he's spending $130 is all he's spending. And then mm -hmm. he just starts plugging the numbers in, trying to commit fraud, trying to order laptops, clothing, whatever he needs to order that he can sell quickly at that point in time. It's that ease of crime. It's the way the networks work, where everything's centralized now for criminals. They can go, they can network with other people, they can buy items off the shelf that are extremely cheap. There are tutorials available, there are classes that are taught on how to commit fraud, everything else. It's all of this together is why we see the increase in, in actors trying to commit cybercrime. At the same time, you've got the retail Armageddon stuff that's going on. Look at any physical shopping mall, anything else. Most of these places are going out of business because most business is shifting to online sales. Mm. Because of that, you've got more credit card data out there. More credit card data out there means that more attacks happen, more attacks get more credit card information. It, it's a cycle that just continues over and over and over again. Mm. Right. And to recap, I mean, it sounds like the dollar value is low, probably because there's so much information. And so many numbers out there and there are that many and there are so many people going out there to get those numbers through the various ways that we talked about because there's so much of demand, right? right? So because there are so many people that want it, there are people who are going out to get the data and then it's cheap because there's just so much. And, you know, again, I talked about this in the last episode, but I can't stress it enough that, you know, a lot of people think that it's because e-commerce companies are not secure, that's not the case. No, um, not at all. It, it's not at all. When it comes to credit card numbers, there's tokenization. There's a lot of different ways that merchants are taking it very seriously online to not be hacked or breached or had have their customers' information compromised. But they are easy targets for monetizing those card numbers, for using them, for actually, you know, using a stolen credit card to make a purchase so that they can then resell it and get money at the end of the day because they're not getting money until they're monetizing it. So, you know, there's a big difference between where the data comes from and where the data is used. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's one of the things I talk about is in, in presentations or to companies is to commit cybercrime. And I, I, you'll hear this again and again, to commit cybercrime, three things have to take place. You have to gather data, commit the crime and cash out. All three have to work or the crime fails completely at that point. So gathering data, certainly we're talking about breaking the law because you're still in personal information, you're still in credit card data, bank logins, whatever that is. So the gathering the data part, yeah, that, that's, that's a crime in and of itself. But as far as 
organized cyber criminals go, they don't even consider that. That's just getting the tools that you need to commit the actual crime of placing an order online mm. or doing an ACH transfer out of your bank account or anything else like that. So that that's what's considered in cybercrime circles of breaking the law is that commission of the crime itself, that commission of mm. the CNP order or or ATO in an account or any number of things like that. And then finally, it's like you said, I mean, it's the cash out. At the end of the day, none of that matters if a criminal cannot put cash in his pocket. And usually when you're talking about credit card theft, you're talking about the guy ordering some item online and then selling it on some classified website or something like that or neighborhood or, or something like that that puts actual cash in his pocket at that point. I was looking at a marketplace site, like a local marketplace site. So that can narrow it down to like the apps or, you know, social media or whatever. I'm not going to get too, you know, too into the weeds. But I saw this guy selling like 270 gallons worth of water in these big giant uh, plastic things. And he said, you know, retails for $4.95, but I'm letting them go for $1.25 this weekend only. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Um, and he had like several pallets of them. And the first thing I thought of was, hmm, that's probably stolen. Um, of course it's stolen. <laughs> so that's another thing, too. When you're you know, a consumer looking for a good deal, when you see people that have things new in package or new with tags, and they might have a big story or they may not or whatever it is, be weary of that. Like, that, it's probably stolen. Um, yeah, either and- shoplifted, because I know that even local small businesses in the Seattle area, and I'm sure, you know, internationally as well, or just even in our country, but also outside of it, where people are stealing physical goods and posting them online as well without ever stealing a credit card. So, I mean, these sites are amazing, and I've gotten some great deals on them as a consumer, but usually I stick to the local buy sell groups like with moms in my neighborhood or things like that where, you know, it's a little bit more secure than just the open marketplace. Carice is being much nicer than I am on it. (laughs) When you go to... Isn't that usually the case? It is, it is. But I'm going to say the site because, because law enforcement and everyone else on the planet knows it. When you go to Craigslist and you see an ad there for an iPhone X and the guy has a picture of 10 of them in the boxes unopened, mm-hmm. and he's, he's operated out of his house, how do you think he got those? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I would say for them, like the, the founder has been very – his first name is Craig, of course um, – has been very open. He's very libertarian and doesn't want any rules sure. or enforcement. and. I've worked with a large group of name brand companies to try to appeal to him at one point and to people that worked for him to try to have some rules and regulations around their stuff being stolen, especially event ticketing companies, amusement oh, parks, yeah, it's crazy. Um, all of that stuff. And they have no interest in it. And I would say that the other companies do at least want to try to help or have a system to help merchants listening to this, you know, probably are yelling at me that not all of them help them. And I I know that, but they're a little bit more helpful or at least appear more helpful than, than that experience was. So I, you know, I don't have any problem with you outing them just because (laughs) I've tried to work with them and it hasn't worked, but also it is, it has been in the news and law enforcement's aware of it. It's not, we're not telling you anything that you don't already know or that you can't already assume. But, so, um, you know, you know if it's too good to, to be true, it probably is, I think, is it. what you're you know, saying there. Yeah, and, and the point I'm trying to make is is that a lot of the times, I mean, the, 
Crooks would not be selling these things on Craigslist, or at least not so blatantly on Craigslist. If it didn't if work. They, if it didn't work and they didn't have a steady supply of buyers. Mm, right. They wouldn't be doing that. Now, I'm not, I'm not putting the onus on the buyers, but you are, when you're doing stuff like that, you are complicit in a crime. You're supporting crime. And Absolutely. a lot of them, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's the truth, right? I mean, a lot of cybercrime, credit card fraud, payment fraud, all this stuff does fund criminal activity. Absolutely. It can fund terrorism in some cases. It can fund drugs and, you know, violence and guns. I mean, all these things. So... Or it can just fund a person, you know, but even then you're still complicit in a crime to your point. And there are a lot of ways that consumers unknowingly do that. And so we're, they are definitely on the list of topics to discuss (laughs) (laughs) for sure. Cause I mean, the whole reason we created this podcast, right, is to help explain to people. I mean, to us, some of these things seem common sense and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe someone did X, Y, Z. But to a lot of people just living their lives, they don't think about that. And we understand that. So absolutely. Yeah. So going back to kind of, you know, following the path of what happens when a credit card is compromised or stolen, what happens to a credit card number when it's stolen? Like how long does it usually take before it's being used to monetize, ah. it's used to cash out? How many hands does it usually go through? Well, I do the answer to some of these, but I, so, you know, want to share sure, that, so, have you share that with everyone. <laughs> so, so, okay. First, it depends on who's getting the information and how the information is acquired. If it's the seller that that the crook is buying from, because a lot of times what you'll have is you'll have a bunch of Ukrainians that go out and they steal millions of numbers at a time, either through a data breach or they're launching, you know, mass phishing attacks or anything else like that. And they're getting these card numbers. Now, when they have these card numbers, when when you go to a, a black market site and you're buying these card numbers wholesale, because that's the way the Ukrainians now sell these numbers are wholesale. So they're looking for someone to buy 100,000 numbers at a time or 300,000 or something like that. So they're, they're selling it wholesale and they're saying, okay, we just got this database last week. We're now selling it wholesale. Everything it's got a uh, everything's active at a 85% rate. So we've tested uh, we've te- tested a sampling of cards, and 85% of them are coming back as active. So at that point, they start selling. Now that usually takes place usually a week after they get the data. So they sell to some other buyer that plans on selling it on a darknet website or a marketplace. At that point, you've got even more time that extends from there. So you may, when you're dealing with Ukrainian information coming through, you may be looking at potentially a month before that data starts to be sold. And even that depends on how much data that Ukrainian initially has to get rid of. Because if he's, if he's got databases that have not been sold yet, he's going to sit on the new ones until the old information is out there. Okay, so you're, you're talking about some time before that information is actually seen on the marketplaces or when criminals start to use it. If, however, because a lot of these guys gather their own credit card information, if you're talking about a seller, and there are a few that are on, on Darknet websites, one of the big ones used to be a guy named Red Sun. He would get, get his own credit card data, and he would sell that data for $10 a piece. So when he got the data, as soon as he got it, you could bet within 24 to 48 hours that that data would be on his website for sale at that point. And what he did was, and that's, that's a lot of, a lot of the times you see that on these, on these marketplaces, when you've got a large credit card seller like that, they'll issue the the releases. So they'll say, okay, on Tuesday, we've got a brand new dump of credit cards coming in. And they'll even name the dump. They'll say, this one's gold or this one's platinum or this one's, you know, extremely good or what have you. They'll say, 
this is for sale right now. This is brand new. Everything's good to go on that. And they'll sell everything as soon as they get it like that. But it really depends on where the data is coming from and who's selling it, how it's actually getting to the marketplace. Mm, right. How it was acquired and then right. who is doing it, what their business model is. Because, I mean, sometimes it can be months, right? They obviously yeah. want them as soon as possible. I mean, the buyers want them as soon as possible because they won't, don't want the car. You know, they, they're racing against time before the credit card gets shut down or expires or, or whatever it is. And understand that, that again, if, if you're looking at data that's been stolen, but it's not hitting criminals' hands for months, then that data is being acquired by usually Ukrainians. It could be, it could be people in, in Brazil or India or something like that. But the point is, is that that data is being stolen en masse, and then it's being sold at wholesale to other sellers to go out and sell finally to cyber criminals who are going to use it to perpetrate fraud. Well, and a lot of the cyber criminals that use it to perpetrate fraud are, you know, in the U.S. or in Europe. They're not, you know, necessarily from those companies. I know there are has been quite an uptick in fraud from Venezuela over the oh, last yeah. two years. And oh, I mean, geez. if anyone's read the news and knows what's going on in Venezuela, you can understand why. I mean, people are standing in line for hours and sometimes don't even get any groceries or can't get diapers for their kids or whatever it is. And so they're turning to cybercrime because there's a limit on how much money each citizen can spend outside of the country. So, well, that's on their own cards, but what about on other people's cards? So it is definitely an international issue. I mean, even though Brett and I are, you know, based in the U.S., this is happening, you know, all over the world. And, 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 and different countries have different types of skills, right? Is that what you're... Yeah, and, and, you know, and part of it is, is de depending on how that data is acquired. So if, it, if, it's, if it's a seller that's getting it to sell wholesale, he's sitting on several hundred thousand numbers and he's selling them as, you know... 30,000 at a time or something like that. That data has a much shorter lifespan than someone who than, than the seller who's actually going out and getting his own stolen credit card data mm -hmm. and then reselling at that point. Because what's happening is, is and I'm going to go back to the Ukrainians, what's happening is, is that the Ukrainians get all the information and then they start selling it. So when, when that specific breach data starts being sold, you've got not one, but you've got many different sellers that are selling it at different avenues. So that data is mm. getting out there much quicker at that point in time. So law enforcement then understands or, or security companies or whoever the breach happened with, they start to see their data coming in and they're able to shut down the cards much quicker. Compared to that smaller seller who's getting his own credit card data, it takes longer for law enforcement or the company to realize what's happening and the lifespan's much longer at that point in time. Right. And the way they get their own data would be either through, you know, smaller breaches or phishing scams or, you know, another one that we didn't mention before is these like short-lived daily deal sites. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, and they're kind of committing fraud in two ways, right? Because they are usually selling name brand items for steep discounts on their own website. They've somehow gotten a merchant account, which is a whole other story. We're not going to open that can of worms. Um, <laughs> At least not today. This is something you can talk about for, uh, it's a huge, huge soapbox issue of his for good reason, but that would get us massively sidetracked. But they'll, uh, you know, they accept their own credit cards on a website and then they start advertising on social media and all this other stuff. And my sister's best friend actually before Christmas last year sent me a note and said, hey, can you check out this website and tell me if it's legit or not? And I looked at it and right away I was like, 
Probably nope. not. Um, <laughs> they had, you know, Nike Smart Fit watches or what? I know that's not what they're called, but, you know, the very expensive exercise watches with biometrics and things like that for a very steep discount. It was like 30% off, which it wasn't going on sale anywhere retail. And they said they had several, but, you know, one day only, or they had a ticking, you know, clock of how long that sale was going to last or whatever it was. And they had a few other items on there, but it was a pretty sparse website. And it was obviously a company I'd never heard of before. It just kind of looked pretty new. And so I put in the web address into Whois, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a great site for figuring out who owns the domain and when it was started. And it had only been, the website had only been up for a month. You know, so in addition to monetizing those goods that they've bought with stolen cards, most likely they are getting new card numbers when a consumer places an order. And so it's that cyclical cycle. So that would be one example of how someone would get credit cards themselves. And I would say you see those advertised on social media all the time, you know, getting name brand athletic shoes or whatever it is for steep discounts one day only. And just be skeptical of those because not only are the goods probably stolen, your card will probably be stolen at some point as well through that. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's, that's, that's one of these vicious cycles of fraud. So, so using that as an example, here's, what, here's one of the things that I would do if I were breaking the law. So I would go and buy stolen credit card information, and then I would use that information to place orders online and get items in, whether it be these Nike Fit Watches or, or video games or what have you. Once I got those products in, I would then set up a merchant website, and I would sell those products on the merchant website. So I sell those products on the merchant website. It takes a little bit longer to get rid of them, yes. But what it does is, is everyone who buys the products, I get their credit card data. Plus, I make the merchant website that I've just set up look more legitimate so that two months down the line, I could then buy more stolen credit card data and run that credit card data through the merchant website and cash out like that as well. Without having any products, right? Exactly. Right. That's, I mean, that's exactly it. And that's how they're getting fresh credit card numbers. And they probably also assume that if the person bought from that website, they probably won't be looking at their account often because maybe they're not a savvy consumer. It kind of puts a target on your back a little bit too. Yeah, because if it's on your own website, you get access to those credit card numbers if you set it up that way. Now, most legitimate merchants do not. They don't have any visibility into the full 16-digit card number themselves for those security reasons I mentioned before. But, you know, obviously non-legitimate merchants would absolutely want the access to that. So that's something to consider as well. And when you mentioned, you know, that the credit card seller may be harvesting their own card numbers, that example popped into my head. Right, right. So it's common. I mean, that's that's not uh, it's not complicated to do that. It's it's right. profitable for the criminal. It's easy enough to, to set that type of uh, cycle up to do that kind of stuff. It's, it's one of the things about cybercrime is it's not complicated. It's not rocket science. This, these crimes, all it takes is a willingness to do it and an understanding of just some basic principles. Right. Absolutely. We've talked about a few of the common ways that credit cards are monetized into cash, but what are some other, you know, if you were to list the top five or six or 10 or whatever ways that you see credit cards being monetized into cash, what would some examples be? So uh, certainly ordering items online and having them shipped or ordering uh, virtual items, that being tickets or software Mm. keys, video game keys, accounts, anything else like that, travel services. So you you book a flight and you you 
sell the flight to someone using stolen credit card information. Geez, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. There's payment processing fraud, that, that type of fraud that I just explained. So what you can do as a criminal is you can, you can set up a fake merchant account, buy stolen credit card data, and just start funneling the data through there and cashing out like that. There's tons upon tons of ways that a criminal can use stolen credit card information to profit or to put cash in pocket. He can use stolen credit card data to uh, use a money transfer service like Western Union or MoneyGram. Now, they've gotten very good at catching stolen credit card data coming through, but you can still do that kind of stuff. Uh, Venmo is, is one of these things that's, that's pretty common right now for criminals to, uh, to transfer money or to scam people with or anything else like that. I mean, there's if, if what I like to say is that if a merchant... Or a business in general, if a business can make money off a product or service, a criminal will make money off the same product or service. Right. Well, in other ways, too, you know, on marketplaces have made the world, I think, you know, a better place or a more fun place for lots of reasons, right? You right. can go stay in someone else's house or you can go ride in someone else's car or buy and sell event tickets if you didn't like it. Like you, I mean... 10, 15 years ago, you had to have friends that would buy your concert tickets if you couldn't go. Now you can post it somewhere. You know, there's all different ways, but those websites are also, you know, targets for money laundering, right? Absolutely. For somebody to set up, you know, to be a seller and then also be the buyer and buy from themselves, but using stolen credit cards or stolen payment information. I've worked with several of those companies on those topics of, you know, anti-money laundering. So there's definitely, I mean, you're absolutely right. If a merchant can make money, a criminal can make money. Um, and there's definitely different people involved in the process, right? There's the, or there are a couple different victims, I guess you could say. Right. Um, there's the victim of the credit card that made the purchase. There's the victim that purchased the item from the criminal. They may or may not know that they're a victim ever, but you know, they're still a victim. And then there's also the company that was victimized. And for every $1 of fraud online, it actually costs merchants about $2.90. Which is um, crazy. Yeah. But I mean, if you think about it, they're out the product, they're out the money because, you know, the product is gone once it's been stolen. But then when they get a chargeback from the original cardholder, they have to give the full money back. And then there's also fees associated to chargebacks. There's fees associated to fraud, fighting fraud. All of those things make up that number. And so if you have $100,000 worth of credit card fraud on your website, that's $290,000 on your website. So it definitely, there's several victims within even just one transaction that really honestly don't always get made whole or don't always get to see justice or almost never get to see justice, to be right. honest. And we'll obviously talk about that soon. But it just, I don't know, I think that it's important to know that it's not a victimless crime. And it is so costly to everyone, whether it's Absolutely. costly in your time for how long it takes you to, you know, be on hold with your bank to report it, you know, looking through your accounts or whether it's costly to your business because you had to pay a chargeback. Like, it's expensive. So if we're all just a little bit safer and more secure, then I think, you know, it'll be a better place. Maybe <laughs> it's being very maybe. idealistic. But <laughs> <laughs> with that, you know, we we knew that this is going to be a topic we could talk about forever. And obviously we haven't talked about the stuff that, 
you know, everybody probably wants to know is how do you know when your card is stolen or what do you do when your card is stolen? How do you find out about it? And then how do you protect yourself? And so we're going to be covering all of that on a future episode, probably the next episode, (laughs) Um, (laughs) because we don't want to leave you hanging and we never want to provide a problem without a solution, but we do want to be conscious of of time and not, you know, make you listen to a three hour episode. So (laughs) with that, we're going to wrap this one up, but know that next week we will cover the rest of this topic and, you know, we'd love to hear from you all on that. Absolutely. That's it for our episode today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've learned a lot. We've got so many of these types of topics to cover to help protect you and your business from fraud. So please subscribe to Online Fraudcast to be alerted when a new episode is out. And because we're new, please tell your friends, rate and review where you can to help others learn about these topics as well. And we want to hear from you, what you love so far about the podcast, how we can improve, what topics you want to hear us discuss. You can find the online broadcast on Facebook and Twitter, or find us individually on LinkedIn, or our email is info at onlinefrogcast.com. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure.